This is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global change makers dedicated to creating a healthier planet. One where our unique gifts are lived, expressed, and celebrated. I'm your host, Julian Gudelai. Hi, and here today with me is Alyssa Anaya. Uh, welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. You are in the world as a, a reverend for the heart. You, you are a, a pleasure activist, so to speak, right? And um, a yes. transformational teacher. And I found it such an interesting topic to continue to bring back on Green Planet, Blue Planet as kind of the place from which we go out into the world and the place from which we go out to make impact or change in the world and the place from which we connect with nature, as nature, with the natural world around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am committed to being a force of love on the planet. And what that looks like in my work is bringing the sacred to every moment through the ancient practices of Tantra, where we use breath work and moving energy to experience the divine in everything. And that feels so connected to honoring the planet because we are part of it and it's all sacred. Yeah, right on. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's so funny because again and again, I find myself reframing what green planet blue planet really stands for, because it's, it's definitely a, a, you know, a kind of a word play on the planet we live on in the sense that it, you know, in its healthiest state, it's as you know, it's blue and green and healthy waterways and thriving flora and fauna and us humans among it. And then because of the, you know, very public narrative around what we, we call sustainability or climate change or pollution or, you know, corporate social responsibility, all of these, these terms, I think there's still like a lot of people are still coming back to, we need to save the planet. Well, you know, we need to save the planet. And Personally, I keep looping back around to only people that walk in integrity with who they really are will ever have a truly sustainable or regenerative impact on the planet. And so, you know, no one's perfect. We all need to help each other to get to that place. And many times our projects in real life teach us uh, exactly those steps. Yeah. But where, where do you land in that, in that kind of sense making of, of the modern times that we live in? Yeah, I really couldn't agree more with what you're saying. And um, I see it kind of as um, an analogy would be a river. So you can be going with the current of the river, which is in my practice, you know, being one with all that is being on your dharmic path. For me, it means sharing these practices of Tantra and sacred sexuality and really being in this place of oneness and seeing the divine in myself and in others and in, in everything really. Or you can be on the side of the river where you get stuck in the mind and the, the mental plane. You know, there are these sticks and um, areas on the side of the river where the current doesn't flow and it's so easy to just end up there and get stuck in some pattern of thought or limiting belief. But the goal is always to immerse yourself in the current of the river and the spiritual flow of life. 
Mm-hmm. Beautiful metaphor. So really, I mean, when we bring up the word Tantra, I think every single person has a thousand associations a minute that kind of are connected to it. Do you, do you mind guiding us a bit deeper into that metaphor of finding, finding the unstuck or finding back to flow through understanding our own body, through understanding who we are in any given moment? Yes. So Tantra, there's, you know, some misconception about Tantra. Um, Tantra is really these ancient, ancient scriptures from India that almost no one has read. Only a few sages got to read them long, long ago. And what they wrote as their responses or their interpretations of these scriptures created the foundation for a lot of spirituality that comes from the east and has spread all throughout the world. So really it landed in these two sources of Tibetan Buddhism and Kashmir Shaivism. And from those, all of Buddhism and all of Hinduism drew from these ancient tantric scriptures. So originally, it's just a philosophy. And it's, you know, has a lot of nuances. But the bottom line is that everything is divine. And God or divinity is in everything in the trees in each human and in absolutely everything that we see, feel and experience. And from there, we become these divine humans. And how is it that we express ourselves as divine humans? I mean, that's always the question, right? How can I be a gift to the world? How can I help? How can I do good? Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. It's so interesting because you brought up this metaphor of the river, right? Where it's like finding that flow of the river and I think in our public uh, conversation around, you know, especially the great trail of pollution that humans have left, we get stuck so easily and maybe even purposefully so because people that are stuck in, in some kind of place of, oh, what am I going to do about this? You know, are, are much easier to, to kind of steer or control in that sense. And to truly break free, we need to un- get unstuck, but also understand our small contribution to a pretty big mess can still really make a difference. And and that's the kind of conversation I love having on this podcast, right? Is like empowering and remembering that our uniqueness actually matters and finding access to it actually really matters. Um, How, how and where in your life did that click? Mm. I love this question, thank you. So for me, I started practicing Tantra 22 years ago with my teacher, Evelina Rose, and she teaches um, a lot of Tantric breathwork. And I began doing this breathwork almost every day. And it really expanded my capacity for ecstasy. And along with breathwork, I know you do breathwork too. You have these experiences where the blocks that are in you clear, you know, just spontaneously. So you'll be breathing for a while, maybe a half hour, 
And then all of a sudden some tears will come and something that was stuck becomes unstuck and it moves. And we used to say in our Tantra circles that doing an hour of tantric breathwork is like 10 years of talk therapy. Mm. And for me, what happened is I did experience so much deep healing and so many states of ecstasy and oneness through this breathwork that I realized that our bodies are capable of so much pleasure and ecstasy that most people never even get to experience. And I really want to share that the capacity that our bodies hold with others so that we can all live our lives to the fullest and experience this beautiful spiritual oneness that I think most people are actually longing for, whether they know it or not. Hmm. What role do, you know, individuality and uniqueness really play when it comes to, to, you know, this, this whole, this whole topic of, of, of play and potential of the body? Uniqueness. Hmm. Well, we're all unique, you know, every human has our own makeup. And if you think of the the concept of Shiva Shakti, which is male and female energy combined, which is within each human, we all have different expressions, right? So I have a female body, but I embody both Shiva and Shakti energy. So the Shiva is the this holding this divine consciousness, oneness energy that is the considered masculine. And then Shakti is the physical, tangible um, human experience who does things in the world and who creates things and is the ecstatic energy. And I also have that in me just like you do and everyone does, but my expression of it might look more feminine um, and actually, I love to use power tools, right? So I have like a really strong masculine side mm. that most people don't expect. But um, so we all have these different expressions. Man manifest in, in the shape of power tools. In your case, actually. <laughs> well, they are fun, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, the point is that we all have a different makeup of our unique expression and it's all a divine compilation of these different energies from my mm. perspective yeah i love it I, i'm just gonna continue to share some questions so you know one of the, the themes and topics that i've i've really dug my heels in and, and keep exploring is the idea of trust and what trust really is and you know, we have many people that are kind of on the search to trying to understand this. I think Brandon Brown is often quoted as one of those people that ask some deep questions. So just for you in this moment, Alyssa, like what does trust feel like in your body and mm -hmm. what is required for you to actually trust someone? Mm -hmm. Yes, great question. So trust comes from safety. And safety is created with consent and honesty and integrity is my experience of it. So 
what this looks like in relationship is communicating clearly. I say, I always say communicating the truth with love. So communicating needs, boundaries, fears, desires, and then having the person who I'm communicating with really be present and holding and creating space for my yeses and for my noes. And so, yeah, and that's something that I do in my workshops a lot is create trust with boundaries and consent. So I teach, uh, you know, I have people practice their no's and when you say a no, that creates room for a true yes. And the importance of really honoring your body at all times. Mm. If your body is saying no, there's a reason and you, it just needs to be listened to. You know, we say no is a complete sentence. It doesn't need explaining. We don't need, even need to know why we're saying no. But if there is a clear no in the body, it needs to be expressed and honored and that creates trust. Mm. That's an awesome answer. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that I asked you that because, you know, for someone who has a somatic uh, background or a somatic therapeutic background or who is in the field of Tantra. I mean, this must be like one of the number one topics in the, you know, interrelating that humans get to do is, is, is trust. Um, for Absolutely. the podcast and the change, the change making that people, you know, out there in the, the world doing that I often interview, trust is often like the social fabric that is that the true speed at which things happen. You know, we have all these ideas and concepts of what we could do, but un unless there's, you know, the social fabric of trust, it sometimes just doesn't actually happen other than in our minds or in our spreadsheets. Right. I, I saw you, you mentioned the speed of trust and that is such a beautiful concept and the way it translates in intimacy is it's so important, right? Because we're all, can I just talk about sex for a second? Sure, you, you, any, anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're all wanting to have amazing, mind-blowing sex, right? But then when you're in relationship and you have all these layers of, oh, you didn't do the dishes and I'm annoyed about that. And so I don't feel like having sex tonight. There's all these layers of, you know, and of course there's deeper emotional things that happen over the years of relationship. And so in order to create the trust for those peak lovemaking experiences, we have to communicate. And that's mm. why I teach these communication rituals almost as a... Um, I would say um, foreplay to having mm. sex. You can have a heart share and just clear whatever's in the way. And that creates the trust and the opening for the actual passion and desire to move. Yeah, communication is key, uh, especially for good sex in my experience, but also for any form of other, um, you know, progress or moving through something or, or getting something done or transforming something. It's, it's quite interesting how, you know, most, most of the relationships, both, both friendships or intimate relationships, I look back on the, the reason, you know, it's a lack of trust is one of the reasons why things go sideways. And then it's usually a lack of bringing something up that is like super small in the moment. 
but just like the lacking skill of of transforming it into something that is not a problem and then you know it it turns into a problem based on uh, us not communicating yeah exactly and then as soon as you name it then it just disperses and it's gone it's not in the way anymore when we have the right skills like you know like facing something that's uncomfortable i think you know how, how do you see this like what is like what's the value in learning how to face something that is maybe momentarily uncomfortable like sharing the truth or speaking about something that isn't a sexy topic like washing the dishes or you know plastic pollution to get like to the oh, big scale of it yeah i mean it's just so important because it can be hard and scary to speak the difficult truths right but once you do it it just the whole world opens then you're then all of you is there so for example i um i am polyamorous and i had to share with one of my lovers that i had a connection with an, another person and i was scared to do that and I came to them and said, I have something to talk about and shared it. And as soon as I did, then it was a non-issue. But mm -hmm. if I didn't share it, like so many people in relationship have affairs or have crushes on other people and hold it to themselves, it becomes an issue in the relationship because mm -hmm. you're just because you're not speaking about it. And when you do speak about it, the, the energy disperses. And I mean, I don't really know how talking about plastics would have the same effect, but I suspect that it would, right? If, you, if we're in a big company talk, and nobody's recycling and some the people who are conscious are irritated about it, you know, it's creating this tension. And then, I mean, maybe that's a simplistic it's a, it's a beautiful simplistic perspective on on this topic but i think it's one of the many angles and layers to it right like when it comes to personal relationships or you know thanks for sharing from your own home zone around like how you know like in a real life example there i think everyone no matter in what kind of love constellation you are listening i mean can relate to those moments where when you share something that's big it, it just it just disperses but i think coming to the bigger topics in our society number one problem that i see in the world is that we're not willing to talk about things that are like, like majorly uncomfortable and we're not willing to say no strong enough you know as a collective individuals are in the last two years many of us got tested to say no and you know and did um and yeah. you know we're living in a time where that trust is completely shaken to the ground because there isn't really safety there's a lot of talk about creating safety but we know from a, you know, economical perspective of chasing infinite economical growth on the cost of the planet and the planet's well-being and therefore our well-being, it will never work. And we all know this and somehow we're too uncomfortable to talk about it. Or when we talk about it, it turns into these concepts that we try to solve in spreadsheets till the year 2030 or 2050 or 20, you know, I, I think somewhere there we're losing the point of it, which is to be able to take radical responsibility, be able to say no, facing what's uncomfortable without being like, well, let's not talk about it and just let me get away with some more convenience, which, you know, after years in this field and, you know, researching and reading and writing and interviewing and podcasting, 
I do really believe it comes back to our individual ability in our individual life and our individual body. So you living that out through the, you know, teachings of Tantra and, you know, relating polyamorously is, is just one of the many ways of how to practice, um, you know, what are, what are boundaries, what are communication skills, what are, you know, honesty, what is transparency, what is trust, because without those skills and abilities, there's no way we're going to build a world that, that works for, everyone or a world that even just sees us as nature with nature yes mm-hmm. yeah so, and so it comes back down to those abilities no that i mean that's kind of my, my point here <laughs> yeah talking about the hard things and um yeah it clears the way for the pleasure and the healing and we mentioned earlier about pleasure activism being a way to bring the positive energy of healing and Mm. wholeness to humans and through our own wholeness having the strength and ability to do the work that needs to be done to heal the planet and i really believe that that is the way yeah, you know, and I, it's it's honestly even the reason why I started this podcast. I mean, I didn't know to call it pleasure activism uh, back back in in those days, but it was simply to find a way in my life where I would have conscious dialogues with people that are doing something inspiring to change either their social field, like in your case, or the state of the world if someone has, you know, um, a, a big impact through the business they're they're running or simply you know writing books and influ- influencing people this way but but i wanted to have these dialogues with people that have a connected w- relationship to the planet and want to bring that change from yeah i don't know if it's a pleasurable way but a way that is that doesn't come from we're all doomed and let's all panic kind of angle which you know it's not maybe the only thing that's out there but Five years ago, I, I felt like this was pretty much the only angle, especially the mainstream angle of anything related to planetary health. And so I keep coming back that pleasure activism is like a term that's grow. I'm, I'm, my affection for that terminology is actually growing every year. Yeah, and it's, it's exciting because it feels good. We mm. long for this the focusing on the problems and how to fix the problems is this, you know, we talked about this on the mental plane and it's very limiting and it's very dry Mm. and our beings long for a rich whole experience. It's much more nourishing to focus on the whole experience. And from the perspective of pleasure, even when it's eating fresh food that you grew in your garden it's so much more pleasureful so much more filled with pleasure than eating something that is you know gmo modified or has been sitting on the grocery store shelf for a week it's it's a huge difference mm-hmm. that wholeness that comes from the pure natural experience of pleasure that's just really healthy and innate in all of us that desire to be nourished by wholesome things like Mm. good food healthy air and great sex 
Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, to all of those things. That's definitely that's definitely something that I, I do believe we all desire once we're awake to our bodies, you know, interplay in this world. And so I want to go a level deeper in this conversation with you into well, for one, understanding that we are in the body, even though we're not the body. And so therefore the, the body itself and the signals of the body are extremely important, right? And, and, then, and then two, and you know, this is kind of a connection in terms of topics, but the, the world isn't a mental conceptual world only. There is that layer to it, but it's an, ex, it's an experienced world. Like we literally live it, right? And so the way we relate to pleasure the way we relate to pain really matters and i think our society is and i i believe almost everyone can see that now unless you look away our society is fundamentally sickened by short-term gratification that allows us to kind of bypass these signals of the body so yeah. we're misinterpreting them in the in the first place so pleasure activism to the person listening from that angle might be like well that's a joke we got important things to fix like well that's true but if we're bypassing the body's experience and we're just looking for short-term gratification and like very highly intellectual problem-solving sheets like i think we're actually missing the point absolutely i'm gonna bring up a slightly controversial topic and that is porn because when you're talking about that quick uh you know satisfaction that's what i'm thinking of is how mm. so many men on this planet you know it's just habitual to watch porn and have an ejaculation within two to three minutes and that's what a lot of men have been doing for years and years and part of my role as a tantra teacher is to undo that and so the first mm. thing is no porn and the second thing is spend 20 minutes self-pleasuring without any visual stimulation mm. and bring it's bringing back the wholeness of the body and the pleasure that is just innate in our animal bodies without that stimulation externally. Mm. And then from there, you grow, you bring the breath work and you bring the um, experience of having the divine inside of you. And then you have the energetic orgasms and then you have the experience of oneness with all that is. Mm. So it's so much more nourishing in the end. And, mm. you know, yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant example, actually. I'm so glad you're bringing up controversial topics. Uh, you know, I still, still feel like I, I'm, not, I'm not doing enough of that on this podcast. It's like it, it, the more controversial, the better usually, because it allows us to, you know, to also leave this like, do I think it's right or wrong what you just said? Or can I just hear it, feel it and let it sink in? And then it, it marinates in me. And, and from there, I, you know, make my own next opinion or step. But for one, I can definitely relate to that journey because having grown up in the 90s and the, the early 2000s, like, yeah, porn at some point enters the, the sphere of any teenager. And then at some point, you know, you realize like that's a dead end street. 
Yes. Like nothing of that is actually what I want. You know, it's, it's just like a, a, a mind fantasy that never ends. And so reconnecting to the body does, does look exactly like that. And it is quite interesting because it's, it's metaphorical. Now we could go to any other short-term gratification as an example, like social media um, overuse or addiction that most of us have without yes. maybe possibly noticing it is like, who are we without the visual stimulation? Who are we if we stop that for as little as seven to 10 days? Yes. If we put down our phone and don't get the dopamine hit from the, the phone and all of the notifications, then who, what you're saying is so true. Who we become is who we're longing to be, which is maybe we go camping for a week and then we slow down to the pace of nature and we feel ourselves and we feel this slower paced natural existence that feels so foreign to our modern day lives and it's so nourishing it's really the life that we want mm. i think that most people are longing for i mean it's really difficult to say anything in a generalized way about every single person on the planet but at large i mean that brings me back to you know when i, I said a few minutes ago i want to dig a level deeper that we are making the experience based on the body we're in. You know, this is, this is a core philosophy of yoga is that you're experiencing the world through, you know, quotation marks, air quotes here, that the body glove that you, you, you know, put over like a glove to the spirit that you are or the soul that you are or the eternal uh, being that we all are. And so only through that, sense apparatus that is the body we're actually experiencing the real physical world mm. in which we live and so yeah i mean that is an onion with many layers if i look at my personal life yes I, it I love seems to me that's that. where most people are lost yeah sorry <laughs> no no i just love it but go, finish finish what were you saying no i kind of was finished i was just like okay making the point because it, it, it feels like I feel so strongly about it too. I, I realize with, you know, my work with events, with my clients, that this is literally what almost every single person is either suffering with, or at least being regularly challenged with is to come back into the body, to feel the body and to understand that the intuition and the impulse that comes from the body, even though it might sometimes lead you wrong, it's the only thing that ever led you right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I just love the way you put that, that the body is like a glove that you put over the soul. That is such an amazing image. Um, and what you said about the intuition, you know, I find that to be true. Absolutely. I made a commitment. I married myself last year and my commitment was not only to listen to my intuition all the time, but to actually follow it. And since I've made that commitment to actually following my intuition all the time, my life has become so much more exciting because mm -hmm. my intuition is guiding me to the places where life is happening. And it's where the, you know, it's in the current of the river and yeah. Mm. Let's talk about this current of the river for a second here. So, you know, as we're looking at the river, we're looking at it from the moment right now. 
But then there's different stages in our life where we might have already looked at the river and we might not have seen the same flow of life. So if you were to sit down, Alyssa, with your 15-year-old self on, on that same river, what would be some of the, the lessons, you know, like one, two, th tops three, three lessons that you actually would love to share with your 15-year-old self, metaphorically speaking, uh, sitting down on that river? Wow, 15-year-old self. Yeah, it, it does come back to really trusting. I would share with her, learn to listen inside, create moments, create times to just listen to the heart space. And when it's warm, that's a yes. And when it's cold or closed, that's a no. And just listen to the heart and let it guide you and always honor your body. Never do anything with your body to please other people. You know, that's an ongoing life lesson. And then I also, I think, would share with my 15-year-old self that no is a complete sentence. And if your heart says no, just use that one word so important powerful you said this twice now no is a complete sentence yes you don't have to explain mm. you don't have to have a reason why you're saying no mm -hmm. yeah I've, I've noticed that it's difficult for many of us to say no <laughs> including myself in some phases of my life and the more i've owned my own no the you know, you still have to live with the emotional consequences that sometimes it doesn't only feel good for a moment, but like actually long-term, it feels very freeing and empowering because it allows you to say yes to what, what, what you truly desire. Yeah. And, and stopping the loop of justification or defending oneself is, I mean, sign us all up for it. That's, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's in all areas. I recently read the book Essentialism. Have you heard of that book? Mm -hmm. And it talks about um, a, a cluttered closet as an analogy for your life. So, you know, you clean out your closet and then you only keep the few things, maybe, you know, 10 to 15% of what was in there that you really love. And then the idea is to do that with your whole life. And that requires a lot of no's. And mm. myself, I'm a people pleaser. And so my first instinct is to say yes, but really finding the no's to create the space for what the true yes is, is really, you know, one of the keys to mm. fulfillment and health and all of that. The book is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less uh, by, by Greg McKeown, if I say that right. Um, yeah, this is this is an exciting pursuit of, of our dialogue here because so for most people saying no is, is quite difficult. Some people are, are, are really good at that. Now they have maybe different things to still learn. But I also want to speak about again, like the you know, with the overconsumption, we talked about porn, we talked about social media in general, or, or you know, like the digital world that continuously pings on us. But then it's also the overabundance of offers we could say yes to that feels paralyzing and i'm sure everyone knows that feeling when you scroll down the 
if it's Netflix or Spotify or whatever you're on right now uh, or YouTube. And, and it's just like, what do I actually want to engage with right now? Yeah. And, and there is that moment where that world, those algorithms, those smartly designed programs, they capture you right when your guard is down and, they, and, and something pops up and then you end up consuming that. And afterwards you're like, wait, did I, did I actually want to watch this? And the answer might be no. Right. So saying yes, deliberately is, is possibly equally as, as difficult. How do you, how do you see that? And what's maybe like the, the tantric perspective on, on like saying a conscious and deliberate yes. Yeah. Well, also um, as a bridge from the no, um, if you're not a fuck, yeah, like 150% full body. Yes. Then you're a no. So if you're in that in-between place of, maybe thinking about it that means no and so finding the true yes and you can feel a true yes in your body we you know you've you know what that feels like right and it could be in any area but especially in intimacy it's so Mm. important to have that true yes to everything even with your spouse of 20 years maybe they're feeling like they want to be intimate and you're a maybe and you need to just wait until you're a full yes and find that that place of true yes but also there's so many things that can cloud the yes and in intimacy there's a lot of subtle awareness that you can cultivate to see when things are getting in the way of your true yes to really connecting with your partner or with your lover. Um, And so that, again, can be the communication. But what I like to do is just a weekly um, tantra date, which is starting with breathwork doing breathwork together and doing like maybe half an hour, even a long time of breathwork. And as you do these layers of blocks, they just, um, they come off, they, they move out of the way, whether it's stress from work that's keeping you in your head and not mm. able to open to intimacy, or you're worried about your elderly mother or you know whatever it is these layers they come off with the breath and then you're able to drop in and feel your body open to its animal yes right on i love how you bring it back to breath work and like the actual use of it in the interrelating that we do with people it's it's quite fascinating that you know that's like the next the next level to anyone who's got hooked to breathing or breath work is to use it deliberately in a tantric setting with another person. And it doesn't even need to be a, a sexual partner, right? It can just be a friend with whom you cultivate intimacy because intimacy has so many layers, but I've been to, you know, those, those yoga immersions where ultimately tantra immersions as well, where you would, for example, eye gaze with someone, and um, hold hold hands basically but not holding them the way you would hold it with a lover but you know put the palms on top of each other and then you start breathing or you mm-hmm. start push and pulling 
as you start breathing. And so all of the layers of subconscious that get pulled out and pulled through it, it's fascinating, right? Because you face both your biggest fear and your biggest upset, and then also your, like, your biggest forgiveness and openness. And, but really, it's so simple. It's just full presence and breath. Yes. And it's so powerful when you have the full presence and the breath, how much can fall away. How in mm. one second, when you're looking in someone eye, someone's eyes with full presence and seeing the divine in that person, you can truly connect. You don't have to have years of training or even know how to do breath work. You can just by really connecting with the divine in another person, come to that place of um, eternal bliss. I'm curious here. I'm going to jump and ask you a question. How would you bring some of those principles into the education system? You know, we're already on the same page that it needs to change. Like, what are some of the things you would do? And you know, feel free to make some examples. Yeah, well, actually, I, um, I've i been an avid meditator since college. And when I was in college and undergraduate school, I was a teacher and I did actually design a program for the schools um, of meditation. And so I really believe that teaching kids to meditate and be able to hone their point of focus mm. so that they can be truly present to experience all there is, is really a crucial addition to education. And some teachers are, are starting to do that, bring in meditation and mindfulness techniques, but that would be my number one um, suggestion is having moments of meditation. And then since we are, you know, highlighting breath work, Absolutely. I teach my 10 year old daughter breath work. She mm. knows the four, seven, eight breath, which is breathing in for four, holding for seven and exhaling for eight. And we do that regularly when she's either nervous or upset. It's a great way to reset the nervous system. And, you know, it works for everyone. It's been scientifically proven to, um, to decrease our, our um, heart what is it uh how quickly our heart beats and hydrate variability yeah yeah mm -hmm. so anyway um i was just doing the four seven eight and so it got me super sharp to answer that one uh, <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm not joking as i was as you were saying that i was well it it you know it, it's so interesting because the 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 one, one, I really appreciate your answers to the question, but come, come back to the breath, which is, you know, one of the connection lines for you and I in this, in, in, in this connection, in this conversation, in, in this podcast, but also in the work and how we show up for people in the world. And breath is so interesting because it's really easy to know quite a few techniques relatively quick, if this is something you're into and want to learn about. But ultimately, it's also the best teacher of beginner's mind because every single moment is different. And attuning to your breath, even though you might have done the same pattern 20 times before, and you know, you, you, possibly you don't like what the person who's instructing is saying, but actually, if you just connect to the breath, that beginner's mind or that first experience can fully take over again 
in my experience, way more than with any other topic that I've ever experienced is that, you know, and that's why I just did one of those really basic and simple breaths that, you know, I taught everywhere, but I, as you said, extremely effective because jumping right into it is so easy. There's no threshold. Like there's nothing to overcome. You can just begin. It's just breath and, and following it will make you feel and connected and coherent in a certain way. Yeah, you only have to do the four, seven, eight breath four times, four rounds to have it reset your nervous system. It's amazing. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah. So let's definitely get that into any form of education wherever uh, kids are going to go to school in the next years. Yes. Um, <laughs> last question I have for you, Alyssa, is, is you know, it's, it's more like a dreamer question because I want to I wanna hear the dream that you have in your heart for humanity and for the seven generations forward the seven generations that come after us that are our ancestors and, you know, we're their ancestors, we're their predecessors in that sense. Oh, beautiful. My dream is that we teach our young ones the ways of wisdom in the form of really listening to our inner guides and our inner guides take us to the truth and to honor the connection, the interconnectedness of, of everything and also the divine that is in each one of us, is in every part of our world. And ultimately, I do feel like we are on this path of coming to a place of seeing the divine in everything and honoring the interconnectedness and it does feel like we're headed in the right direction to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Tantra and these breathwork practices are one of the paths to that truth. Oh, beautiful. Hmm. So, so many paths to connect back with that truth and I am super grateful for you to be on the show, Alyssa, to share one of those pathways and share your pathway and to share just a, a small little window into the way you walk and view the world. Um, thank there, you. Thank you. There is a website called reverenceoftheheart.com. I'm going to also make sure to link that out so people can find your work. Um, is there anything else you want to, want to share before we wrap this episode? I would love to just share that I just launched a new 10-week Tantra program called Sacred and Spicy. It's for couples or individuals, and there mm. is info on the website. Thank you so much. Sacred and Spicy. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.